We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to... Yeah, I still think we have to be very honest with where we're at. Um... We're still not a Super Bowl team. And, you know, there's one team happy, Vic, at the end of the year. And, and although we, we made a great, you know, step last year in 19 from 18 and another step this year, um, we still have to go further. Um, the goal here is to win that thing. And until we get in that game to compete for, we can't win it. And so um, it wasn't good enough this year. And so we've got to be very honest with what did we do well and where are there some holes? And and that's at the end of the day. And then how do we fix that? Is there anything personnel-wise we can do? Probably so. And is there anything schematic? Do we need to adjust some things? Do, do we need to do this, um, whether it's the protection or the run game or the pass rush or cover skill? You know, you just have to be very honest. Were there certain defenses that gave our offense trouble? Were there certain... Um, offenses that gave our defense trouble. Did we struggle more against the run than we did the pass? You know what I mean? We just we got to be real honest. We got to we got to open it up, and and that's why we're going to try and debrief here for the week, and then take a step back. Sometimes it's too close, it's too fresh right now, and then we'll continue to look at it as the weeks and months come, and be honest through this whole spring before these players get back. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Rock Power Report Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger, and that was Brandon Bean from his season-ending press conference over at BuffaloBills.com. Let's light this Roman candle, Chris. We have a podcast tonight. Yeah. The uh, <laughs> second best hair in Buffalo media, Matt Perino. Before Matt Perino joins us so that we can talk about the state of the offensive side of the ball, much like we discussed with his counterpart last week on the defensive side of the ball and just the different free agent markets that are at play, I wanted to touch on something. For those of you out there who might not have heard it yet, Pat Moran of the, uh, what, it used to be the More Analytics podcast, and now he calls it the Talking Buffalo podcast. 
Yes. Okay. Recently joined Blue Wire. Kudos to him. But in listening to his recent show, he hosted kind of, remember when we did the Summit of the Smart People? Yes. We had that same setup minus Joe Marino. The triumvirate. Joe Marino, unfortunately, couldn't make it to ours, but he did it. And when I would urge everybody to go listen to it. If you're somebody out there who is a fan, if you're a... If you are an aspiring podcaster, go listen to it because there's some important lessons in there about inclusiveness and about how, listen, famine mentality in this in this podcasting. Chris, when we started, there was nobody. We were alone. <laughs> we were one of four podcasts, including Joe Biscalia and Matthew Fairburn. Yeah, the uh, I think it was like the Buffalo Beat, and then you had Bills and Beers, and then you had Numb Bills Fan, and us. And so, almost in aging ourselves, we have an ability to sit back and look at the way the landscape has changed, and the way new podcasts have come about. Videocasts, YouTube has become a thing. Something that we have to kind of embrace. Yeah. Or do we? I don't know. We, we'll figure we, it out. We do. We have money. We need a table. <laughs> we need to build a studio. Gotta, Chris has a whole list of demands that he's making. But here's what I'll say. We've gotten to watch this space grow because it didn't exist. We were part of the forefront of that. And one of the biggest messages that comes out of that podcast, and I, again, urge you all to go listen to it, is that... We're not all infighting here. None of us are in direct competition with each other. It's content creation. We're all in this together. We each have our own spin. We each have our own nuance. We each have our own thing that we do. Chris, we are the hardest drinking, pettiest Bills podcast. Nobody out there can do it like we do. Yeah, we have Who that. else can drink 400 beers during an hour and a half podcast? Yeah. Over the course of a regular season. There's space for every content creation that you can come up with. We had a the discussion with Bruce Nolan off air about the space that that we hold. Oh, absolutely. He, we were talking about it. How Chris and I will never compete with Eric Turner from Cover One in regards to draft prep. Or Joe Marino in regards to the draft information he can impart to you guys. And... Greg Thompson, he's well-spoken. He's got good hair. He's got great credit and a very good job. Great, <laughs> his hair part. His hair part is his incredible. His hair part is off. <laughs> Look at you. My hair part is on point. Look at Chris trying to make it a hair debate. Look at this. There's competition in hair. Chris, this is the exact behavior we're trying to, trying to dissuade our listeners from. Ultimately, we can all exist in this space together. We can, and we can all embrace one another. I think it's important, but what I also think is important that they didn't, no one there mentioned, is that sometimes you have to be okay with being wrong. Okay, You have to be okay with just embracing what is in your gut. Chris, this podcast wouldn't exist if I didn't just shoot from the hip with how I feel. You know, you've seen the charts I put together. You've seen the in-depth research I do. The stuff that we talked about yesterday with Tyler Dunn, he was blown away by the amount of statistical prep and just analytics that I brought to my conversation that I tried to have with him. Yeah, we showed Tyler Dunn your uh, chart that you made 
last week for the defensive preview show with Ryan Talbot. And just some of the content that we brought and his reaction to it was he was surprised that an amateur pot. Hey, you're just an amateur at this. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. He was surprised that I put that level of thought into it. But I believe it. And I told him, I go, listen, just because I'm a, I'm smart, but sometimes I'm not. And when I'm dumb or when I'm being emotional, it's because I feel it and I'm willing to embrace that. That's one of the messages that I would lay out there for anybody who wants to get into this or wants to continue just being a fan of all this. You sometimes have to be able to embrace the idea that I'm not always going to be right, but it's honest. And I believe that that's probably more important. Right, Chris? 100%. Honesty. Honesty, Honesty versus correctness Honesty, is probably better. Yeah. You don't... If I don't I, have to be the smartest guy in the room, but if I'm being honest to myself, that's produced some of the best conversations. It's produced some of the best information that I've ever done. Like, like It's just... Why would I want to listen to a podcast and or national radio show where you... Or striving to always be right about a topic. You can't be. It, you it can't be. You have to be interesting and have facts to back up your opinions, whether you believe it or not. I wear my emotions on my sleeve. That's one of that's part of my charm. <laughs> I don't think anybody here will call it that, but that's part of my charm. And I believe that if you genuinely not just want to get into this, but in anything when it comes to sports when it comes to life be honest be honest with how you feel do your research look at numbers look at statistics but be honest as to how you feel in a given moment you'll never have to remember anything i think you think it was mark twain if you if you're always honest you never have to remember what you said that's it that's how you approach this and i think that that'll take everybody a long way again go check out pat moran's latest podcast Featuring the triumvirate of smart people. (laughs) I urge you to do it. It's a great conversation. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so as we launch into tonight's discussion, I want to welcome in our guest, the other half of New York Upstate's crack Bills reporting team, Mr. Matt Perino. How are you doing? What is up, boys? I'm good, man. I'm good. (laughs) Yeah, I like that you're wearing a hat because you're just bowing to my hair greatness. Oh, Jesus Christ. I love how Chris has an ego about his own hair, but I watch your hair. See, we get to see your hair on actual television. 
Chris, I, I think he's actually quietly cribbing notes. Like he's act, like I'm over here watching football, trying to take notes. He's looking for the pregame shows or like the like the morning of shows where he can see you on TV, so he can crib notes about your hairstyle, so he can try to copy it later. He really well, is. I, just, I saw pictures of your ankle, so I felt bad. So I said, I'm going to put a hat on, come on the show, <laughs> make you feel good, and. Kind of go about a, about our day here. For those of you who've been living under a rock, Mr. Perino, he is the he is the face of the New York Upstate dot Bills reporting team. I uh, I mean, you've really come into your own here in 2020. I remember when you first came back to the Buffalo area and started reporting on sports, and it started with a Facebook invite. I was like, Matt Perino, huh? I don't know anything about him, but sure, I'll I'll like his page. Hey, he's going to start writing for New York Upstate. Cool, I'll start following his stuff. Look at you now. TV spots, your own podcast and video cast. Which has an awesome intro. Beat reporting. Your following for your show alone has exploded this year. I mean, I remember talking to you about that and saying that you would be perfect for a podcast. And I'm glad that yours has really taken off. Yeah, man. It's been a, it's been a fun... Uh, it, it's a, like you guys know. I mean, it's a super heavy lift on top of everything else. And I think that, you know... I've kind of found a, a cool niche for myself in the market because I was just talking to Ariel Hawani um, a couple weeks ago. Um, he, big Bills fan, obviously, UFC reporter, and he's like, "Dude, honestly, like I, I work at ESPN and I see I've seen a lot. I, I, I'm really." He went to Syracuse, like huge journalism buff, and he said, "In terms of sports beats, like there really aren't any in any sport like Buffalo has, like." It's a very deep, talented group on the print side, quote unquote. I guess you would still lump me into that category, even though I'm really not print at all. And then the TV side and then there's the radio side. And and then there's this new bubbling content creation side that like it's it just is a really deep, you know, for a fan base that's super starving for content. So um, I, I, I feel like I kind of touch every base, if you will. And that's always been my plan is, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and paint myself up like some type of football expert. I'm, you know, a kind of jack of all trades that likes to involve the viewer, reader, audience in in as much as I can, because that's the fun of sports is, you know, and I learned that in the UFC more than anything, because, you know, putting fans there in the stadium or the or the stands, if they can't be there, or the conversation, if they can't be a part of it, for whatever reason, that's the key. And so that's what I try to do. And it's gone really well. And, you know, Bill's Mafia is amazing. Uh, it's so supportive. And, you know, I have kind of like a cheat code because I grew up here. So <laughs> it's in my blood a little bit. But um, it's been awesome. No, no. I'm, I, I We couldn't be happier for you, man. Just to see your own kind of personal brand really start to take off here over the course of the last few years. And 2020, with as many hurdles as there were to doing the job that you do, I feel like you really hit your stride. So just, hey, it's been a while since we talked. Congratulations, man. But so, Thanks, brother. For, for, the, for, the, for the meat and potatoes of tonight's show, the reason we're here. We're here because I love talking to you and Ryan about you know, every year before free agency, we get together, we take a look at the state of the roster, and we talk about the markets that might be out there for the Buffalo Bills and the dynamics at playing them. Last week, we talked with your partner, Ryan Talbot, about the state of the defense and made note that while the Bills were fourth in defensive spending in the NFL, I mean, the, the, the dynamic is pretty different on the offensive side. 
Now, with cuts already rolling in, which we discussed in yesterday's podcast with what was an incredibly philosophical discussion with Tyler Dunn of GoLongTouchdown.com, the Bills have jumped to number two in defensive spending as of today. Chris, the second most expensive defense in the NFL. Did you ever think you'd live to see the day the Bills held that title? I mean, small market, yeah, why not? That's what small market teams do, right? Yeah, right, just blow it out. (laughs) They just blow it out for defenses. Now, changes are coming on that front, but on offense, like I said, the dynamic couldn't be any more opposite, as we're currently ranked 21st in the NFL in offensive spending, which is 40.6% of our total cap devoted to that side of the ball. So when you hear those numbers, Matt, doesn't it almost make what we accomplished on that front last year even more impressive? Definitely. And, you know, it just goes to illustrate the importance of hitting on the rookie quarterback because, <laughs> I mean, that's the, the – you said meat and potatoes. That was the meat and potatoes of this offense. I mean, 40, 46 total touchdown with the throw, the passing score, and he was just so dynamic. And it's like – it's funny, like – We've been talking a lot about, over the last couple of days about the extension that's looming for Josh, and it's probably going to land somewhere between, in my opinion, Dax, which was about 40 annual, uh, and 45, which was Patrick Mahomes' annual average salary. And, you know, I think, you know, there's been this, this portion of the fan base that pushes back and is like, you know, I want to see a little bit more before we, you know, re-up there. And I'm, and I'm kind of sitting there thinking, like, the more you think about it, of course, like it's all the, the price is only going to get more expensive. I get that whole part of it, but also, you know, you see where some players have gotten their their big payday. I mean, just as recently as Deshaun Watson, who's at about thirty nine million per year average, coming off of a year where he had thirty four touchdowns, and so even if Josh Allen regressed to thirty four touchdowns, which would be more than ten. Uh, less in, in in next season, which I think this offense is a chance to be even better because, listen, Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen just got in their bag and went out there barely knowing each other and had a historic season. Just imagine with an offseason where they could actually work together and, and spend the time, eight months, learning the offense together and what each other does well. I mean, I think this is going to go to the next level. And so I think it's perfectly... Um, in place right now, the problem is they're dealing with a cap situation that just kind of sucks for everybody involved. Oh, 100%. I mean, in a podcast with Bruce Nolan of the Bruce Exclusive, actually, he was a recent guest on your show um, just a few weeks ago. We agreed that based on our current cap, just contractual load and cap situation and the structures of the deals that are currently on the books for us versus what our needs are. This would seem to be the year that outside of a premier pass rusher, this team should probably look to shed a lot of that defensive spending and use the draft to fill those vacancies. I mean, Chris, this team is going to have to get younger and cheaper on defense in the future anyway. Why not start now and use this year's free agency period to kind of bolster the offense? But the problem is that... It's much easier said than done, given how many other teams are not only thinking the same way, but are more well-positioned to do that here this season. So with that in mind, kind of like we did with your partner last week or in our last show, where we're going to take a look at the state of our offensive roster together and identify some of the market conditions that the team's going to be contending with. I'm going to start at the quarterback position. We currently have three of them under, under contract. We have one starter. They only 22nd in the NFL in cap percentage at 4.51. To your point, Matt, that's why hitting on the rookie quarterback is so, so important. Because if you're not doing that, 
There's no if if you don't hit on that and then have the freedom to go out and pay what you did for your defense and go get a Stephon Diggs without having to think about the cap ramifications and without having to think about who else on our wide receiver staff do we need to cut. I mean, I think Chris, I think we were number one in wide receiver spending in the NFL last year. Might have been. You don't get to do that if you're also paying a quarterback. But when he's a rookie, you can go out there and do whatever the hell you want. That's what the Bills did last year. And I don't think we see the AFC title game without that. So for the first time in forever, it feels like the Bills could have actually found the answer to that elusive quarterback question that to me has haunted us ever since I watched Jim Kelly break his leg in that game versus the Jaguars. And you remember that feeling. Just did you get it, Chris? Just that sick pit of your stomach. Kind of, you're like, oh, I'm, he's done. Yeah, I just watched Jim Kelly play the last game ever. Yeah, uh, that that's it. You stop. Well, that's done. Hopefully, there's a. Hopefully, Todd <laughs> Collins works. I mean, we to your point, there, there's no doubt in your mind that they keep him long term. Now, we discussed in our last show with Tyler Dunn the fact that Allen puts the Bills on a short list of teams with stability at the starting quarterback position. How advantageous do you think it is for Buffalo heading into an offseason like this? Where there's a many teams not only have questions under center, but also around the roster. And they still have to also try to stay competitive, but on the right side of the cap. How important is it that we found this piece by comparison to everybody else in the AFC? I mean, it's huge. I mean, going into the season, I mean, the Chiefs and the Bills are the odds on favorite just based on who they have throwing the ball. And, you know, you look at some of the other situations around the league, and I think Baltimore is always a contender just because of Harbaugh being there. That defense with Martindale is usually going to figure out some type of way to be um, frustrating for opposing offenses. I even think, you know, I think the win played a big factor in that playoff game. But, they're st- you know, they still are able to do some things, and they'll probably re- reload. But their quarterback position, I mean, they have a, an MVP from 2019 that I still think that there's a lot of questions about. I mean, you're talking about a a player, and I like Lamar Jackson. I think he's a weapon, and I, I don't think that they put enough around him to really be able to tell definitively where we are with him. But now you're sitting here looking at, you know, the season that he had, the struggles that he had in the playoffs once again, once they they, they faced a good team. And, you know, I don't think that Tennessee team was very good in the end. I, I just didn't like the way they played against them. And um, in the end, I think it was, you know, there wasn't a lot of huge plays in that game by Lamar Jackson. And so I think that there's plenty of questions about him. And you look around the rest of the AFC and some of the perennial contenders, whether it be Pittsburgh, who's going to try and go one more time with Ben Roethlisberger, who looked completely done. In the, at the end part of last season. And I think that really the only reason they got out to the start that they did is because defenses were floundering early in the season with no real offseason in that short run-up to the year. We saw the scoring off the charts around the league um, last year. So um, I think the Bills are in a, a great position. I think you're going to start to see some other teams establish themselves potentially like the Los Angeles Chargers really standing out. I thought Justin Herbert was outstanding this year. Um but even the division itself, and that's what Brandon Bean always goes back to talking about, is we got to win our division before we think about anything else. They're they're positioned really nicely. I I think there's there's even more. You talk about Lamar. There's way more questions about the the, the long term viability of Tua in Miami, and obviously we all know that the Sam Darnold experience has not worked in New York. <laughs> and I'm wondering if they can. I think they they might end up rebooting it there because I'm not as sold on this this rookie class of quarterbacks as everybody else seems to be. I think that sneaky 
like people love Trevor Lawrence and and he might be as good as advertised. I'm not I'm no, you know, but I'm hearing enough skepticism and some weird like late in the game like hype for Zach Wilson that I'm really wondering like could this end up being a class where you know, you take it back to the Mariota Jameis class where it's like all this hype on these two guys that never really pan out into what everybody was expecting them to be. Yeah, and for Lawrence, that would be a huge, crazy storyline because the hype is so huge for him right now. Oh, no, for sure. And I mean, when you look at our division, to your point, we easily have the best quarterback situation. So when you talk about the Buffalo Bills going out to market, we do have an interesting problem at backup. I mean, to my, this is how I like to think of backup quarterbacks, Matt. There's three types of them. You have a backup quarterback that can stabilize the team's performance in the event of an injury to your starter. I'm thinking like Marcus Mariota coming in for D- D- David uh, Derek Carr. Derek Carr. Jesus Christ, I can't. I'm thinking of his brother. Derek Carr out in Vegas last year, or Foles the year that Philly won the Super Bowl when Carson Wentz went down. That's one type of backup quarterback. There's another one that's a veteran presence who's kind of intended to act as a teacher and mentor for a young developmental prospect, kind of like Matt Barkley was for Josh Allen here in Buffalo. I think it's a perfect example of that. And then the third one is a rookie who you've drafted in hopes of grooming to either be a backup quarterback, either the first category where they're a high-quality backup, or you're at least grooming them as a future trade commodity. I'm thinking Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, he was drafted to be the replacement to Tom Brady, but he netted a second-round pick for him ultimately because his play showed enough and people believed in him enough. Now, total aside, but hilariously enough, Cam Newton doesn't fit any of those categories, and yet he's still being talked about as a starter. There's still people out there in New England who think that guy deserves the starting job. God bless him. Nothing would make me happier. But there's a significant amount of variation in cost between those three tiers of backup quarterback. Of those three, I mean, obviously you can tell which one's more expensive and which one is the cheapest. What do you think is the smartest way for the team to proceed here in terms of backup quarterback? Um, so I don't think it's necessarily like a huge problem because like, you know, I think Marcus Mariota is a great example of like the overvaluing of good quote unquote backup quarterbacks. Like he came in and he played a fine game, but if we would have seen an extended period of Marcus Mariota, I would imagine like Ryan Tannehill is like an exception. I feel like like most guys that you bring in those higher end backups don't end up like I'm, I, I'm very um, pessimistic at the idea of Marcus Mariota being able to come in and bridge some sort of gap to what Josh Allen brings. Like that's the that's the key to this is that I think people kind of get a little bit overwhelmed with is that you're not going to usually have a backup that's going to be able to come in and save your season, quote unquote. I think it kind of all rides with, with. I mean, there's no Nick Foles out there, or and if you, there's no Nick Foles that you can target. You kind of just have to luck into a Nick Foles. I feel like <laughs> I don't know. And I so, saw somebody on Twitter yesterday who said that uh, this is Sports Rock. I think on Twitter is his handle, and he he said that Blake Bortles would be a perfect candidate to uh, play here for the Buffalo Bills, and I almost stopped in traffic so I could rifle my phone across the street. Like that was, I was stopped at a red light and I just happened to notice on Twitter and it made do you have my. Two, do you uh, have two phones? Do you have two phones? Like an old, like, burner phone? No. No, if I did. You should, you should, if I did, you I'd have put to. one of those charged up in your thing. And then when you're going to do something like that, 
just set the one to record like a video and then do it so that we can kind of all experience that with you because there's nothing like Drew Rage. I feel like that is see, like uh, I, well, I, that's, that's, what I that's love. content. Right you, there. You've gotten to see a little bit of it. Chris has experienced it more times than I think anybody. I've seen you throw a beer at uh, another vehicle on uh, Genesee. That happened. That was in traffic. That was my bad. Um, there was a, there was a whole lot of bad decisions made by everybody. I feel like in that scenario, and then, but I I digress. I digress. I'm not going to drag you down into the mud with me. Ultimately, if I mean, you could go any one of these ways because if you think the cap is the most important thing, then you're probably going to stick with a Jake Fromm, right? Because you want the cheapest option here's, out there, which I'm sure Nate Gary will love hearing that. But if you're, but but if you think that there's a chance, hey, we could be a Super Bowl contender, and we need a quarterback who can stabilize the ship, you're probably looking for someone more in the vein of a Jacoby Brissett, or or you, or if you're thinking that the backup quarterback position is that important to your team's success, you're out there looking at a Brissett. You're out there. I mean, there's not a whole lot of like you said that kind of talent out there that can bridge you for half a season. So then the question, uh, there's Nick Mullins, who quietly had a decent year without, when Jimmy Garoppolo went down. I mean, he San Francisco had six wins. A couple of those were Nick Mullins. There's some names out there, but they're going to cost you. And based on where you're spending everywhere else, it's going to be tough to see the Bills really splurging for that, right? Yeah, no. I, I'm not in that camp. That I, I really think all the answers are on the roster. And... I think you bring back Matt Barkley on a you know super cheap deal and let him just compete in in camp against Fromm, who you draft, you spent draft capital on, and I think the the real dark horse is I think you got a Nick Mullins on your roster in Davis Webb, and not only from uh, what he can do potentially, I mean he hasn't played an, an actual NFL snap yet, so we really don't know, but from everything that happens inside the room, this is a guy that. If there's anybody that knows the system and the playbook and the scheme and what everybody else is supposed to be doing, like Josh Allen does, it's Davis Webb who literally coordinated the offseason workouts last week and basically served as the quarterback's coach and maybe the de facto offensive coordinator. So I think I like the idea of what they've done with Davis Webb and grooming him. He would be an ultra-cheap option. And if Jake Fromm doesn't show, even if you don't bring back Matt Barkley, I think you go in with the three of them and you say, okay, we know what we have in Davis Webb. We know the fact that he at least can be a guy that goes in and operates this thing at a very high level. If Jake Fromm can't beat him out, we keep Jake Fromm on a practice squad or whatever you want to do with him, and you just go into the season with him as the backup. It's not sexy. It's not an, uh, something that fans are going to be like, hey, like you know, you're know, you going through the depth chart and, and, and kind of uh, <laughs> checkmarking all these guys and saying, Davis Webb, we're set. Maybe not. But it's not all about what you see and you know Madden scores and all that kind of stuff. It, there's got to be a, a sense of, uh, of comfort and, and trust in a guy. And the thing about Webb is he, his web kind of spreads into every room in that offensive locker See, and the, I, I like the sound of that far more than I do about them trying to go out in free agency and shell out money in a year where the cap is falling. We're going to pivot to the running back position here. Because the running back, this has been hotly debated amongst fans on social media, and I want to get your take on this. At the running back position, we currently have four players under contract. We have two of them that I think you could call starters. We're 26th in the NFL in spending at the position, just 1.82% of our overall cap. Taking into consideration the fact that Derrick Henry 
accounts for 6.9% of the Titans' total salary cap. The fact that we have two starting caliber running backs, or at least two starters that you'd be, we were comfortable rolling out into week one with them this year, and they cost you a fraction of that. And I think that there's two potential cuts there. I mean, the Bills have two guys on the roster, both drafted in the third round, that should be viewed as the future of the position. In Singletary, you've got this kind of slippery runner who, despite his lack of quote-unquote tough running, you don't watch him make a lot of highlight real plays, but he generated 65% of his total yardage after contact just because his contact balance is so great. And then Zach Moss showed us a little bit more explosion between the tackles. He showed us some things out in the open field early, but then kind of hit something of a rookie wall around the middle of the season, kind of as our line pivoted towards more of a... I think I think part of his decline had to do with the line being pivoted towards prioritizing pass protection. You found out that Zach Moss isn't the guy who could just make plays on his own because he's not. he just doesn't have that explosive speed to match with the power style that he runs with. And then there's these two guys that I know Bills fans have been pounding the table for, one of them for a while, in Christian Wade and running back Antonio Williams. If this is week one and you're entering with those four players, how comfortable are you with that group? I mean, I'm comfortable. I, I think the identity is, of this team has changed, and it's, uh, like you mentioned, a predominantly passing offense that they just got to figure out how to run better and figure out a way to take some of, like, I feel like one of the good things about what happened last year is I think that however much you bring back of the offense that was in place. And obviously there's questions at receiver and, and on the line that we'll get, we'll get into. I think that they, they should be able to put a lot of that success in the passing game on autopilot and focus a little bit more on what they needed to do to make the, the running game a little bit more effective and be a little bit more multiple in there and more like be able to pivot a little bit more in inside games. And I know, I know John Feliciano talked a little bit about wanting to run the ball more. And, you know, after the one game and they were running, I think it was the Colts game and he was starting to yell at the sideline or whatever. Maybe it was the Ravens uh, like, yeah, let's run it. And it's like, yeah, I get that. But you also got to be able to do both and you got to be able to do what's asked when the, when the play comes in. And so I think that we have not even seen like w- what the potential of a Singletary Moss, 100% healthy, um, focused, understanding their roles. That's another thing. Like Devin Singletary was running the ball, you know, 15 or more times for most of the second half of 2019. And his role completely changed, not only from not getting looks, which I think we talked, struggled with that a little bit, but also being, instead of being the featured back down the stretch in 19, he was kind of like the, we don't know if you're the 1A or 1B in a now definite running back duo. And, you know, so I think that there was a lot of like learning that happened. Uh, I, I think that they got it both. The key for Zach Moss and Singletary is bringing in the right kind of attitude in 2021 after struggling last year. And, you know, maybe looking to improve at, you know, at left guard. You know, Cody Ford was drafted to be a road grader. Go back and look at a lot of the, you know, expert draft analysis on him. That was one of the things that I read over and over again is that whether it be a tackle or guard, he's going to be a guy that excels in the run game. That hasn't happened at this point. Injuries have have, have hurt him, but he's got to be better. And they got to be better across the line. And I think they know that. And now it's about seeing if they can do it. Well, absolutely. And I, I, <laughs> I want to touch on this dynamic because I think – I made this example with a Dolphins contributor of ours over on our AFC East Roundup podcast, but I never talked about it here in front of this audience. Um, 
I have a belief, and I think I understand why, because I see the same things right now from Dolphins fans in the run-up to this draft. Fans pounding the table saying, well, we have multiple first-round draft picks. One of them better be Travis Etienne or Najee Harris. If not, I'm not watching the team. And they say all these hyperbolic things. And I see Bills fans, listen, I've been guilty. Last year, I derailed our draft live stream over my frustration of A.J. Epinesa getting picked over J.K. Dobbins. J.K. Dobbins. Because mm. I'm like, this is a no-brainer. He's potentially the best running back in this class. You've got all these things. We There's a need at the position, and instead we're going to take a defensive end that maybe isn't even, like, he's not top two on our roster come next year. I was upset. And then as the year played out, I started thinking about it and mulling it over into my in my head. I said, I don't know why I was so pissed about that. And then I'm seeing this coming up in other people as the offseason plays out, and I believe firmly that between our two fan bases, now I have a big enough body of evidence to say this. It's almost like we all have Stockholm Syndrome. Think about this. The, the best years of the Buffalo Bills, when they didn't have an elite quarterback, all came when we had stud running backs. First-round draft pick running backs. McGahey. McGahey. You had Travis Henry. You had Marshawn Lynch. Uh, Fred Jackson was a surprise. He came out of nowhere, but he was another, again, a dominant rushing game. Is all we were focused on with the Buffalo Bills because that's all we had. (laughs) We were kind of praying for the quarterback position to pan out, and our identity became running the football. Miami is in the same exact boat. They had Ricky Williams. They had Ronnie Brown. They, you know— what they had Jay Ajayi the last time their team was competitive they had a, a running back who was just who was beating people up on the field with an aggressive you know alpha running back mentality and that kind of production and it genuinely does work its way into your psyche as a fan that we can't be successful <laughs> even though every metric out there says otherwise we can't be successful unless we have this star running back I think that I'm ready to move on from that way of thinking. There's just, and I'm hoping that I can implore some of our listeners to listen to reason. The NFL has changed. When you look at the running backs who win Super Bowls or are on Super Bowl winning teams, they're not first round draft picks. They're not, they're generally not super high priced free agent acquisitions or players that you traded a lot of draft capital for. I think we have to get used to the fact that. Focusing on cultivating talent through the draft and finding fits instead of stars is probably more advantageous for the team. Would you agree with everything I just said? Yes. And like to your point, I mean, I think it's a great observation. And I mean, you could just go as recently as last year when Damian Williams messed around and almost won the NFL Super Bowl MVP. And, you know, probably if not for him, who knows what happens in that game against the San Francisco 49ers. So, yeah. The running back position is, you know, we've seen it over the years, teams that, you know, tend to pony up the big bucks or even the teams that like go out and spend, you know, big time draft capital on a running back. It it rarely like works. I mean, Tennessee got to the AFC title game, but, you know, now that they've had to pay Derrick Henry, how 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 much did it pay off for them? And, you know, you asked about Christian Wade and Antonio Williams. I think both of those guys are interesting because they offer two different things. Like Antonio Williams is a guy that, um, you know, a banger, a guy that will clang in between the tackles and, and really showed off his skill set in that Miami game, which I still go back to and can't imagine what Brian Flores, the flight home was like for him 
and trying to go to sleep that night knowing they were playing for a playoff game and they got battered on both sides of the ball by everybody that Sean McDermott put in the game that day. And then Christian Wade, who's got this unbelievable speed and playmaking ability potential that we can finally see maybe the fruits of the labor that has been the last two years of being on the practice squad. And, and that's a, it, that's been a luxury that they've been afforded by the program. And now we'll get to see a, now all of the Christian Wade tweets and the questions and the message board threads and everything. It's finally going to matter because he can actually play. I mean, this was always kind of the plan and we tried to talk about this. I mean, I, I talked about this with everybody that, you know, buddies of mine that are on the beat and, and the, the big questions that we get a lot. And trust me, I don't mind the questions, but the Christian Wade saga was always one that, was in futility because he was never going to play. This was the plan all along. And now we'll get a chance to see what it meant and what he can kind of do and, and what he's learned. I'm excited about that. But I, I think it's just about finding, putting, bringing a bunch of players in that you like in terms of traits and seeing kind of which one rises to the top. And I still think I saw enough from Singletary's rookie year to be to still be bullish on him. And I think Moss, you know, he it was a weird year for rookies last year, and I think this upcoming year is going to be a big one for him. Oh, for sure. And in terms of the market outlook at the running back position, just so people out there hearing this can understand, because I've, I've seen some things... <sighs> I've seen some things about people who are like, well, the Bills, if they're not going to draft them, they need to go out and they need to spend to get a guy on a short deal. Well, you've got some guys, right? Some guys out there who you could get. But are you paying $7.4 million for Chris Carson? Hmm. $8 million for Leonard Fournette. I mean, James White, everyone, I've heard that one thrown around. James White at $3 million. James White, outside of pass catching, doesn't bring you what I think this team is sorely lacking, which is speed. You need a guy with real top-end speed to, to bring a different dynamic because neither one of our two starters right now have it. Your stretch running play is nobody is afraid of the Buffalo Bills on a stretch running play because neither one of these guys are fast enough that when they do when they hit the cutback lane, even if they can get upfield, none of them are going to get separation from those safeties or from faster linebackers. So even if the play works, it's working to the tune of four to five yards, not potentially 15, 16, 20 yards, 30 yards, maybe a home run type play. We don't have that threat on the roster. So I can understand, so not having that, I understand why people want to spend money, but I'll go back to this until the day I die. We did research going into 2020's offseason about running back contracts. There were 30 players that had more than 1,000 yards rushing or more than four touchdowns. 30 running backs in the NFL. Of them, only seven were playing on their second contract. What that tells you is rookie contracts are highly, you can find players who are highly productive who you don't have to pay. It seems like a no-brainer, right? It seems like a no-brainer then that the Bills should completely stay away from this in free agency. And if anything, maybe dabble in the draft, maybe in one of the later rounds, just to find a nice speed fit. And now that we've got that out of the way, this is a, this is probably where the... I mean, because so far we've agreed on most things here. The, the quarterback position, the running back position, no-brainers. The tight end position. We've currently got four guys signed on the roster to the question of what the, the number of starters here is almost, it was difficult for me to answer. I, I had a hard time coming up with a number to put in that slot when I was making our notes. The cap per, percentage is negligible. I mean, we've only spent 2.5% of our total cap. But I could see as many as four cuts taking place, depending on how the draft and free agency goes. I mean, when you take a look at the state of our current tight end room, 
technically speaking, two of last season's five tight ends will be returning to the team. I mean, you've got Knox, Smith, Sweeney, and Becker. Sweeney missed the whole season. Becker was a camp cut. But with that said, neither of the two options who played the most snaps for our team have any proven upside as a pass catcher. How worried are you about the tight end position heading into 2021? I think they want to try to make an improvement, but I, I wouldn't sit here and say that it's, it's, it's a concern or a worry because I still think there's so much developmental um, talent there. I mean, you, you take Dawson Knox, I mean, is a perfect example of a guy that you want to give that four-year window. You know, I think sometimes fans, you know, and it's, 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 it's okay. Like, I get it. Like, when you see all the things working around, you know, the offense and one area where it might be a little bit lagging behind, it's only natural to want to speed up the process a little bit. But I really think that Dawson Knox was always going to be a guy that was going to need the four years before you really had a good grasp of what he's going to be. And, you know, he's got to stay on the field more. And obviously COVID didn't help that by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but I'm, I'm very, I really want to, I think it's a huge year for him. I think that he's got a good dynamic with Josh. I think that they like each other on and off the field. I think that Josh, Josh's confidence in him didn't really seem to waver throughout the year and he kept going to him and then he started to make some plays down the stretch. And I think it's just hard for a young player that doesn't have the kind of snap count uh, that a lot of these guys had coming into the league. And, and I'm talking about the, the pertinent snaps, the one where you, you know, you were featured in an offense in college. I mean, that's a lot of, a lot of tight ends, you know, get that luxury coming in. Dawson Knox didn't have it. So, you know, he's got to kind of find his role in an offense that has a lot of alphas, guys that are getting looks all the time. I mean, when, when Brown was healthy, when is Josh looking for Josh Allen or, or, or Dawson Knox? It's just not happening. And then I think you look down the roster. I think you move on from Tommy Sweeney, as long as all the health, issues are taken care of from that a heart issue that uh, you know came after his bout with COVID. Um, I really love what we saw from him his rookie year. Um, and so I think that I, I want to take a look at him and you know maybe if you could bring in a guy in, in free agency and I know everybody's got their hard eye, hard eye emojis on Johnny Smith. I'm, <laughs> I, 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 I would say that mine are not, I, I don't have hard eye emojis. Let me just say that. Well, I'll say I think this. That it would be, we can pass. I I was gonna say we're gonna pencil you. Smith. For, we're gonna pencil Sorry, you firmly in to save the save Dawson Knox crowd. Chris, make a note of that. Matt Perino <laughs> in the he's joined the Save Dawson Knox fan club. Yeah, and I'm also in the the team that overpays for John um, fan club. So we'll see how that all plays out. I don't think he, you know, I don't think he's as dynamic a player. And I know it's a run first offense, but I don't know, man. I, I, I don't. I don't believe. I, I'll believe it when I see it that he's going to turn into a, you know, Travis. I think the only t- players at that position that you give ten north of ten million dollars a year to are the Travis Kelseys, the George Kittles, those type of guys. Even like you consider a Zach Ertz, right? But like, look, look what what did that do for Carson Wentz? I mean, he had an, a a quote unquote elite tight end, and he was an elite tight end two years ago. And what did it mean? I mean, that offense fell apart around them. And so I think that you got to be careful with those kinds of players because it's not always a slam dunk home run. The, the reason that everybody wants a Travis Kelsey is they don't grow on trees. And so no, that's I, fair. I, I, that's fair. But I'll say this. When you look at Dawson Knox, part of the reason that I'm not is I, I just he's incredibly frustrating to me. Half of his completions, OK, more than half of his completions went for first downs. But that, that number was only 14, which is sad when you considered Singletary as a running back caught eight first down passes. 
I constantly joke about Dawson Knox being a transformer and that if you try to throw him the ball, he transforms into a Teflon skillet and the ball just slides right off of him. And But I will say that he did manage to reduce his drop percentage from down from 20% to 9.1. The lack of yards after the catch is one of the things that I find damning about him. He's an athletic guy. We've seen it. His 160 was a career high this past season, and that had him ranked sixth on the whole team in Yak, behind a running back and behind Isaiah McKenzie. That's a wide receiver who saw 10 fewer targets than Tyler Croft and is half half Dawson Knox's size. The fact that that guy is finding a way to get open and then generate yardage after the fact, I don't know what to make of that, but I know it's not good. So when I go and look at the market, you're talking about people who are in love with Jonu Smith. As we discussed last week, part of that inflation of price is because the market's fairly sparse in terms of what would provide an upgrade beyond Knox. Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry are being talked about in that $10 million range. Then you've got Gerald Everett, who I think is a nice player. Maybe he was a little bit under... He was underutilized with the Rams, but also in an offense like that, if the coach... That's a strong offensive mind in McVay out there. So if he doesn't feel like he can incorporate you as often as he wants to, like if you're not making an impact, it's not because he's not being creative enough, I guess. And then there's guys like Kyle Rudolph, a veteran, nowhere near an elite talent, but he's still going to want a significant salary. And Zach Ertz, that's a guy who you maybe could wait for him to get cut and try to negotiate a deal, but he's got injury concerns. He's got age concerns. He's got some wear there. I mean, at this point, it's frustrating. I went down the list of where I want to, you know, we said at the top of the show, I think that this is where the team should be spending money on offense. I'm having a hard time figuring out where they do it because there's no good values out there. And we've talked with people before who say that our Brandon Bean seems like he's the type of guy who's never going to sign a bad deal. He's not going to chase numbers. He's not going to get, he has a set number in mind. And it's usually a number that protects the team. And so in that way, I can't see him going chasing after a tight end, given where the market could go, especially depending on how these final salary cap decisions fall. I mean, uh, franchise tag decisions. If I assume from your comments about Johnny Smith, you would you really wouldn't be keen on the idea of breaking the bank for a player like that. What about a few names hitting the market when these cuts start coming out? Say a David Njoku, someone like that. Maybe a few, you know what I mean? Maybe someone who's just looking for a change of scenery and a short contract. What if they were to spend significantly but do so in the short term like that? Yeah, they can make the room and it makes sense. Yeah, I I think you definitely, like I said at the the top of this position, you want to upgrade the position. Like if you can and and bring in competition for Dawson Knox, I'm not just sitting here saying, you know, uh, ignoring the fact that they want more production out of that position for sure. Uh, I just think that it could happen in in Knox. And when you have a chance like that with an offense that's just scored 500 plus, I just think that it would be there's way too many concerns on that defensive line for me. That's where this whole offseason starts and is how are you going to get that defensive line to be in the conversation as your best unit on the football team because that's what I think you need to win games and I think that listen 
maybe you don't need it to win games in the regular season, but you need it as we saw this last year. And it, it proves it out most years that defensive line play usually is a key component to successful playoff football teams. And I just don't think that we saw enough on that line last year. So if you're telling me that there's an option to, to spend 10, 11 million on a tight end, that'll come in here and be a really good player and an upgrade. Well, Where's that? Where are those resources, you know, coming into play when you get to the season? Stephon Diggs needs 150 targets, and Cole Beasley needs 110 targets, and um, Josh Allen's going to run a, a bit, and Gabriel Davis is going to get a ton of targets. I just, you know, Dawson Knox still in the mix. I so just, the target I share is really where you get stuck on this, and that's a great point. I mean, it's a great point. It's a position that yes, you want a dynamic player there, but in an offense, we we proved last year you can thrive in a passing attack without yes it would be a nice to have but it's not a got to have which is great and i want to note how wild is it that three dynamic positions quarterback tight end uh, running back for buffalo are currently being paid all by their by just the position group total less than five percent of our total cap apiece that is incredible and i think it speaks to the fact that we've cultivated youth at those positions Now we're going to switch gears here and quickly talk about the wide receiver group. We have eight of them on the roster with four starters. They make up 17.9% of our cap, which is fourth in the NFL. And I see a potential cut out there. I mean, outside of quarterback, wide receiver might be the only other position group where the Bills really, truly seem to have their shit together as they're currently constructed. They've got Diggs, Beasley, and Brown, who combined are probably, Chris, the most accomplished starting three in the AFC. 100%. Then you've got Gabe Davis behind him as a sophomore with a fairly proven level of talent. And you've got his draft, draft classmate as Hodgins, who is kind of our developmental player. And they're followed by some practice caliber bodies in Kumaro, Duke Williams, and Tanner Gentry. I call Duke Williams a practice squad player. Fight me about it. Fight me. I don't care. Just to, So ultimately, our team... Is pretty set. And just to give you an idea of how much further ahead of the curve we are than some other teams out there in the AFC, Kansas City currently has just two wide receivers under contract that have experience in the Andy Reid offense and have caught passes from Patrick Mahomes. Tennessee just let their kick returner and wide receiver Khalif Raymond walk, which means that they're number two, number three, number four, and number eight players in terms of targets last season will all hit the free agent market this year. That is an incredible amount of turnover for any team to try to withstand to one facet of their offense. Meanwhile, the Bills are in great shape by comparison to that. So with that said, I don't think there's any big moves that really need to be made here. One thing I will say is that there is this need to fill the role Isaiah McKenzie used to hold here. I mean, that, that, that's the thing to me. When I look at this and I talk about going out to the market... You've got a guy who, I think, 91, he led the NFL in percentage of his snaps that he was brought on motion. And that's what he brought to this offense. He was our move wide receiver. They moved him around formations. They used him to identify weaknesses in the defense. Sometimes they'd use him to lull a defense to sleep. And then, like in that San Francisco game, they'll roll him out. And then after eight different routes that he never actually went out for a pass or went out in a deep pattern, He rolls out, no one bothers to cover him, and it's a 21-yard touchdown, and it looks like a layup. They have to find somebody to fill that role. (laughs) How confident are you that they do it on the free agent market versus going to the draft? Um, I'm I'm not really there yet to say that they're not going to bring him back. I I could see them moving on from John Brown specifically to 
make sure that they don't lose Isaiah McKenzie because I think that you know losing him and what he does and his versatility and you know his ability to step in for Cole Beasley is is really important and listen I think that there's a price that they'll probably walk away from and and you mentioned it earlier Brandon's always got his um, his prices uh, and he's not going to chase those kinds of con- if somebody's willing to give Isaiah McKenzie you know eight million a season or something crazy like that yeah no that's not going to be in the cards but. You know, I, I think you do everything you can to bring him back. If not, they they their scouting department found him in Denver and you know um, brought him in and, and developed him. So I'd have the, I'd have faith in their ability to do that again. Um, so I, you know, I, I don't have. You're right. There's no big wide receiver situation. I think the John Brown scenario is the one that I'm most curious about how they handle it. And I know, like you know, we had Mike Janetti from Spot Track on the, our podcast, and he talked about. He's kind of not a fan of the restru- of the restructure for a guy like Brown, who has a lot of years in the league, and you know it's just not a good look in the room and and that kind of thing. And does he want to take a pay cut? And maybe he could make more on the open market, even in a year like this, and all those kinds of things. Listen, if this if this offense played worse when he left, like that's one thing. But I think they had some of their best games late in the season while he was watching on the sidelines. So, oh, they absolutely uh, I think did. You I move mean, on they, there and, and save the money. That, that prime time stretch there. They dominated on offense, and it was all without John Brown. So, yes, again, you're talking about nice-to-haves versus have-to-haves. And John Brown just doesn't seem like a need-to-have. Now, in terms of need, this might be the team's biggest offensive line. We currently have six players under contract with three starters. 26 in the NFL in spending because we have so few starters there, and there's no cuts to be made. This is the scariest part of the whole Bills offseason for me. In 2020, the Bills offense took off in a way that we haven't seen in 20 years. And while the majority of that came on the back arms and legs of our quarterback, it takes more than that to build a passing attack or build an offensive attack as a whole. Now, in that way, the Buffalo Bills offensive line in 2020 was worlds better in pass protection than anything we've seen here in years. Dawkins has rounded into a really solid starter, I think. Not just a starter, but a really solid one at left tackle. Well, Morse's presence on the roster is part of the reason, Josh Allen, you see him now being more comfortable in the pocket, being willing to stand in the pocket for three to four seconds sometimes just to let his wide receivers work open and deliver a strike. It actually led to some of our biggest plays this season when he just stood in the pocket and let things develop around him with no fear that things were going to break down in front of him. Mitch Morse is a huge piece of that. And then the got guard play to, to questioning <laughs> to questionable degrees and they got a good performance from a right tackle meanwhile the running game floundered and both of our running backs found that running behind them wasn't easy quality lanes were just hard to come by entering 2021 the bills could potentially take a step back in both of those categories if the offensive line is not addressed properly there's just three starters on our offensive line under contract as of today on a scale of one to ten, how nervous does that make you? Um, I think I think they'll figure it out either way. Like I'm not I'm not super like nervous about it. Um, I think that you know losing Daryl Williams is going to be something that they're going to have to have a plan for how they're going to figure that out, and it's tough because how do they get him? I mean, he was basically like an afterthought last offseason because you know, what Carolina did with him in 19 and, you know, the injury history and all that kind of stuff. 
Um, but, you know, I think they have a couple options depending on where they choose to go in free agency and in the draft. And obviously this is a tackle, a talent-rich uh, tackle draft. So I think that even if you re-sign Daryl Williams somehow, I still think you probably address that position um, just because, you know, who knows what could happen. You know, Deion Dawkins would ever get injured or whatever. You want to probably start developing the next guy, add some depth. And, you know, I like a lot of the, the, the pieces, the young pieces that they have. And maybe they got to hit on a, a one or two more of those in the draft as well, even if they don't draft in the, you know, day one or two. I mean, maybe they got to find another Wyatt Teller or an well, Ike Bucker or somebody well, like that. It's to, funny to you say draft because this is something I noticed in, our, in my prep for the show. The team has taken multiple tracks in terms of trying to address the offensive line. And the results have been painfully mixed over the last few years since they started this rebuilding process after 2018. They've tried veteran and journeyman options at both guard and right tackle in Long and Secchi and Winters. They've tried backups and late-round projects in Feliciano, Bates, Bakker, and DeVay. They've tried converting a tight end to offensive tackle in Jake Fisher. And they've even tried reclamation projects like Quentin Spain, Brian Winters, and Daryl Williams. It's alarming to me because I see these names. I see the fact that they've actually... Chris. Is it surprising to hear all of those names and realize that we've spent money on those players? Our GM went and had our pro scouting department out there finding these guys. And yet, when you see all of the guys we've kind of hired and fired over the years, it doesn't feel like we've made that much shuffling. It just doesn't feel like they have a, it feels like they've spun their tires a little bit because there haven't been many of these acquisitions that have yielded a long-term starter. It seems like a lot of just slapping band-aids on year in and year out. And it's also interesting that in his time here, Bean has only selected two offensive linemen, Cody Ford and Wyatt Teller. And one of them is not even on the roster anymore. I mean, in 2018, Bean was quoted as saying that experience and proven ability to play was going to be paramount to him heading into 2019, which makes it sound an awful lot like he plans on going out to market again to fix these problems. But when you look at the market conditions right now for offensive line, there's going to be some cuts. I mean, I think people thinking, hey, Darrell Williams is going to be number one with a bullet on that tackle list. Eh, I think that you have, I think you're overestimating or underestimating how many cuts are going to come at that position in the next week. Same thing can be said for the guard position. So guys like Williams and Feliciano may still be there on decent contracts, maybe not as high as everyone thinks they're going to get. But the fact of the matter is we're still, to your point, just slapping Band-Aids. You're going to have to draft at these positions. That's how teams get good on the offensive line. So I'm just scared. I'm scared of what happens when you look at the market and you see that there's Guys like Trent Brown who are being paid what they're being paid. Guys like Ed Villanueva who's being paid, who's going to dictate a salary of almost $14 million to play tackle in the NFL at 33 years old. A guy younger than that has more value. So to know that we have to, we don't have a choice. We're probably going to have to wade into those waters and also draft. It's just a very scary prospect to me. I mean, do you share some of my fears? Um... No, because I think that <laughs> this the most like, anticlimactic like, answer, and I love it. <laughs> uh, just because, like, I think we even saw like the report yesterday that you know this Dak deal is kind of like a uh, you know uh, somebody's got a, a door open and peeking into what this TV deal is going to look like, and the cap's going to bounce back. And like, I, I don't think there's any moves like the way that he's constructed this thing, and and you know. 
listen, you might have to like overpay on a short deal, and but you know, but Bean's real good at setting these things up, even when he does overpay to um, leave himself an out. So I'm not too concerned, and I think they do have to dress offensive line in this draft. Maybe get a little bit more creative with it, and I think maybe he even um, previewed it because he said. You know this this draft is is an important one more than any other year, and so he might have to change his philosophy a little bit in a year like this, where maybe he has more resources there than he would in free agency. That's fair, lightning round style. Three of the players that you really like in this free agent class, and what do you have coming up over on Shout? Um, we're gonna do our off season plan. I know that that's super lame, but we had a. <laughs> Um, we had a fan that reached out and said that they wanted to see, like, I just put other GM caps on for an episode. And you know me, man, I love anything that the fans want. Uh, I like doing that. So we'll do that, kind of walk it through. You know, take a lot of questions. Like, that's one of the things we always try to do on the show is keep it really interactive as much as possible. And we'll just lay this thing out because it's a good time to do it right before free agency. It won't be super draft heavy, but kind of like a – you know, uh, a blueprint to what this thing might look like as Brandon tries to, you know, put our best. Because uh, I, I think you could take a little bit away from how he's done it, to your point, and maybe he tries to go and find, you know, the John Felicianos and Quentin Spains of the bunch out there. I know one of the things you said on this show is some free agent targets, and I think that there's, you know, there's a couple out there. I mean, I like the um, uh, Denzel Good from from Las Vegas. He, he's, he's a free agent. He's kind of like an under-the-radar, versatile type of piece that, you know, nobody's thinking or talking about but we could sit here uh next week wednesday and say hey man look look a year down the road and say that was a really important you know uh, signing so you know uh, we'll do that and and then we'll get into monday dude where we just it just turns into crazy time matt perino he's on twitter at matt perino say it again second best hair in buffalo media and of course he shows up on zoom to this podcast wearing a hat just giving in to my hair greatness that I have over here. You know what? I remember the Chris who didn't have an ego. I remember when you were just a broken shell of a man. When we started this podcast... I think I've always had an ego about my hair. Yeah, but when we started this podcast, you didn't have the confidence to have a conversation on Tinder with a girl. You would literally hand me your phone, and I would start conversations and then hand it over to you and watch you crash like a little kid trying to learn how to ride a bike with training wheels. Oh yeah, that's those, those were those were the days. And now look at you. Now you're over here talking smack about your hair. Well, it's fan- I have fantastic hair. The amount of money that I put into this forty dollar haircuts. My shampoo and conditioner is probably sixteen dollars each. Hair oil. That's probably another seventeen. Is everybody under here? A pre styler seventeen dollars. Do you understand why I want to fight? Twenty dollars for a styling product. I just want to come across the table. I, I swear to God, I, Perino would know. Perino knows. He puts a. He uses Layrite. He has a wife that he has to show off for because let's face it, his wife more attractive than he is. Mm. Oh yeah. I don't know. Matt Perino is a good-looking dude. He's got yeah. better teeth than you do. Of course he does. There's a short list of people in Buffalo who yeah. don't. If Perino had your teeth, he wouldn't even be on TV. He wouldn't even be doing Buffalo. <laughs> he just spit out your beer. He wouldn't even be invited to do Buffalo football kickoff on Sunday. I just spit beer all over Chris's kitchen. All right. 
So with that in mind. It, this is the part that I have to timestamp? Yeah. I, I got to timestamp because you might be right here. I hate your ego. You're a fucking dirtbag. <laughs> We're talking about this dynamic we heard at the top of the show. We opened tonight with Brandon Bean talking about how this isn't a Super Bowl roster yet. There's changes that need to be made. The offensive line might be the most terrifying in that that regard. I know what Perino just got done talking about in terms of it not being that big of a lift. Maybe they don't need to do that much different. Maybe it's philosophical. Here's what I do know is that we opened this conversation saying that just a few weeks ago, Bruce Nolan and I agreed that the team needs to spend its money on offense. And yet when I look at the market out here, I don't see a lot of great value. I don't see value out here on the offensive market, which I think is indicative of how teams are playing it, how teams are approaching. <laughs> Listen, the Bills aren't the first team to say, hey, let's cheap out on defense and just spend on the offense and hope our Hall of Fame quarterback can overcome, right? Yeah, well, it's going to get to a point where you're going to pay Josh Allen and then it's from there you got to pay your offensive line pay your defensive line and I think like running back wide receivers tight ends are just things you have to hit on in the draft so that you're paying Josh Allen a bunch of money but getting uh, great play out of cheap rookie deals at wide receiver tight end running back and that's and that's fine because the skill positions you can kind of fill in but the trenches you we talked about that. it We've been paying for it. Year over year over year, we keep slapping Band-Aids on our defensive and offensive line, and it's terrifying to me that we could head into free agency this year and try to do it again. In, a, in an era where the cap fell, we don't have that much money at our disposal. I feel like the team's going to have to swing for the fences. And In all honesty, if I'm being honest, we want to talk about names we like. We did this last week, and I talked about some defensive players that I like for the Bills. For the for the offense, I feel like re-signing your own to some cheaper deals might be the most viable option. Trying to find a world where John Feliciano, regardless of what his agent might think his value is today, going into... I'm sure that that's what's happening right now, is the team is letting him wander into the... Oh, wander into free agency... Knowing full well that there's a glut of guard talent that's about to get dumped onto the market. Something we talked about with uh, Tyler Dunn. That this is going to explode. Same thing at right tackle. There's a lot of tackle talent that's about to get dumped out onto the market with no home. That are arguably better than what we're giving up. And when that happens, those players are going to be looking for contracts. And Buffalo's going to be there going, hey, why not sign a one-year deal? Chris, if that were the case... Feliciano, Darrell Williams on a one-year contract, reasonable or a two-year deal, just to smooth out the cap hit. Two-year deal, reasonable contract. Yeah. With all of the players that are going to slot in above them when these cuts start rolling in. But it also depends on where their other offers are coming from. Because if they're, you know, unlike J.J. Watt, I want to play for a contender... They know that... Hey, well, contender and... Can we put that in quote to air quotes? Yeah. If you want to... If those two, Williams and Feliciano, want to play for a contender, you know, you might have to take less money 
and re-sign with the Bills than what you would get, you know, somewhere else if, you know, somebody like Carolina or Dallas Honestly, you know offered you contracts. Out of the two of them, I see Feliciano doing that before Williams. Williams had an all-pro season and then got hurt. He never got to, I mean, tackle pay is tackle pay, yeah. right? He never got to test the market healthy coming off a good season. Now he is. I could see a world where he refuses to come back. And in that way, I look at a guy, Ricky Wagner. Okay, That's a guy who's a veteran who's played really well for Green Bay. Really well. And he's older. He's probably looking at, hey, this is I've played for contenders. <laughs> I left the Lions to go to Green Bay. Now I'm just trying to figure out what to do with the rest of my career before I retire. Why not take one more shot at going to play for a Super Bowl? You could sign a guy like Ricky Wagner who would cost arguably less because of his age. You know, If you're talking about Daryl Williams being the top of the free agent market until the cuts come in, <laughs> he's still going to make less than what Williams will, just, be, just by virtue of age and longevity. But you heard Perino talk about what a rich tackle class this is. The perfect scenario might be for Buffalo direct, signing Wagner and then drafting a tackle in the third or fourth round. Kind of like a Deion Dawkins? A developmental guy. A second or third round tackle who you can turn around and say, in two years you're going to be my starter. Once Cordy Glenn disappeared, Deion Dawkins was the guy. And he did well. But he needed a year of seasoning. Well, we could draft another guy like that if we had a guy like Wagner who could stabilize what is hopefully a Super Bowl offensive line. I could see if you have Wagner has an offer from Buffalo and you're weighing it like the I want to play for a contender. Who else in the AFC is there to be a Super Bowl contender like outside of Buffalo and Kansas City? That'd be a perfect spot for him. There's not many like we talked about. Tennessee is falling apart. Tennessee is going to have... Last year, their defense was one of the worst in the NFL. They're going to try to rebuild that, but at the same time, they're losing most of their pass catchers to free agency, which means they're going to have to completely rebuild their skill positions, which doesn't sound like a team that's trending towards a Super Bowl, right? Yeah, I did did see, I think, somebody in the uh, Miami podcast world... Uh, do a tweet of uh, in the realm of uh, you know oh look at this player breakdown because Isaiah Wilson got traded here's his three snaps in Tennessee and it was all victory formation (laughs) (laughs) it's not good it's not a good situation there but ultimately when you look at the dynamic the Bills have an opportunity here you can divest yourself of a player who he wants to go test the market. Or maybe Darrell Williams says, hey, I want to be on that team that runs it back and tries to win a Super Bowl. In which case, you bring him back on a short, competent, fairly competent. That's something, how they address that right tackle position is going to haunt me for weeks. And then at guard, I feel like, you know, if you could swing, again, we talked about guys like Tri Turner. We talked about guys like, We talked about the names, I think with Tyler Dunn, more so than with Matt Perino, about who was going to be available on the guard market. 
and how things could get really volatile in that regard and how John Feliciano, right now fans love him, but what if you found out you could get an actual mauler, an actual Pro Bowl caliber player on a short deal for a guy who's just looking for a home for a year until he goes back out into free agency when there's more money? I don't care about bringing in a mercenary. If he's key to us becoming more competitive, I'll hear it. I think that that is going to be, those are the two things that I'd watch. I don't mind Feliciano, but I feel like he's not as good as some Bills fans give him credit for. Would you agree? I I like Feliciano ever since I saw him at the gas station across from O'Neill's on Southwestern and Abbott. I hate you. And then I have one thing to add, because the skill positions for Buffalo are pretty much set. I mean, we talked about it. There's really not a lot of places to go with that money. (laughs) What, a $10 million tight end who's only going to catch? Is this your love affair of Kyle Rudolph? No. No, 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 no. Johnny Smith? I've got an outside-the-box idea here. If we we re-sign Johnny Smith, I mean, listen, I know there's popular names. I like the idea of Johnny Smith. I just don't know how likely it would be that Brandon Bean, being as shrewd as he is, would go for something like that. But there is another option out here that I haven't heard talked about, and I want to bring it up, and it's putting together an offer sheet for Packers tight end Robert Tanyan. Hear me out. 11 touchdowns in 2020. He's athletic, he's a three-level threat, and he's a decent move blocker. You're never going to line him up off your tackle's arm. I mean, maybe you will if you're running inside. But you're not going to rely on him to be an inline blocker. But on the move, he's okay. And down the field, he's a dynamic threat. The Packers are currently $5 million over the cap. And when you look at their cap, it shows that there's some moves they can make there. But they, they're what? The Bills are 21st overall in offensive spending. The Packers are 8th in offensive spending. Mostly because of Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Parker, or Devontae Adams, which raises questions about what they can genuinely afford to pay that tight end. Because he's an an undrafted free agent, they're not going to see any benefit from placing a quote-unquote original round tender on him. And a first round tender would cost him just under $5 million for a single season, so they're not going to do that. What they're going to do is most likely put a second or third round tender on him. Now, I avoid mock drafts like the plague, but I see people pounding the table for somebody named Tommy Tremble out of Notre Dame, who's touted as a second or third round prospect. If that's the case, then isn't there an argument to be made that instead of crossing our fingers and drafting a prospect we hope becomes a more dynamic uh, Dawson Knox, we could trade away that pick and a little uh, trade away that pick and a little bit of cap space and get a fairly priced, but potentially supremely productive option to pair with Dawson Knox. Doesn't that make more sense than spending $10 million on a John Smith? You know what? I'm not sure that we're going to hear a whole bunch of other national, Buffalo national media people, your Fairburns or Biscalis or the people in the podcast community, Talk about an offer sheet. Offer sheet. Offer sheet. Do it. Do it. I feel like I feel like uh, what's his face? Ben Stiller and Starsky and Hutch. Do it. Come on. 
do it. It would be, it's outside the box, but it's one of those things that if you did it, not only would it set a precedent for you as a franchise, but it would also be a smart usage of assets. Correct or incorrect? That I wouldn't know. You're asking a producer. Why would I? Not, why would I know that? That sounds intriguing because because I don't. I have not heard or seen on Twitter people talking about offer sheets for other players. Call I have in. Not, I have not. Yeah, call in if you call in. Call in, if you in with your opinion. if you have an opinion on this. I have not heard the word offer sheet and bills uh, probably since Mike Gillisley. I know, and that's my point. It's such an inoften thing, but right here's an opportunity for us to utilize it. Outside of that, I have no idea what the hell's going to happen, folks. I'm not going to pretend like I do. There's no tie-in Secchi prognostication coming this year. And Chris, if we sign Robert Tanya to an offer sheet, I'm going to set something in your kitchen on fire. It's going to happen. I'm going to set a fire somewhere in your apartment and just leave. That's how excited I'm going to be. I don't know why arson's the first thing I think of. Maybe I should see somebody about that. You probably should. <laughs> but either way, guys, this has been a great conversation. Hopefully it, hopefully it was entertaining for you. Hopefully you learned something. If not, or you're interested in anything about it, tweet at us at Rockpile Report. But Chris, we can get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That was Matt Perino. And this has been your Rockpile Report.